podcast one. Okay, are you recording? Welcome along to episode 114 of the Howie Games Part A. It would be nice, super nice, if you cool cats could do me a favour and spread the word about the podcast to all your crew. So they listen to it as well. Thank you. Alrighty, this week we are pumped to feature the GOAT, Nathan Lyon. Wicket! There we are! Nathan Lyon, for the first time in his career, has 10 wickets in a match. Now, this is a slightly different episode and comes to you courtesy of Fox Cricket, which if you love your cricket, you should be watching. Anyway, I recorded this interview with Nathan for Fox Cricket, so it wasn't the old Zoom meeting we've been doing lately. It was the full TV studio, makeup, four cameras, lights, bigger than Ben-Hur style operation. So purely from a media perspective, you approach a TV interview slightly differently than you do a podcast interview. It's less intimate because there's seven, eight, nine, ten people in the room filming it, lighting it, etc. And there's probably more involved from my end in hopefully relaxing the guest and generally has a little bit more structure to it. The huge positive, though, is if you record TV style in person, you are both in the same room like we used to pre-COVID. I'll be interested if it sounds much different to you guys when you're listening. So you search and try to find But you don't know where to go So many thoughts flood through your mind You're confused and want to know Mystery, what is to be So much more than meets the eye Listen to me, time is your key You will find out by and by Nath's story is a bit like the old-fashioned fairy tale. If you read it in a book, you wouldn't believe it. It simply couldn't be true. But it is. From groundskeeper to test cricketer to record breaker to history maker, when you start throwing around numbers like 400 test wickets and 100 test matches, that is serious upper echelon stuff. All this from a bloke that is very, very low-key, extremely approachable, and looks like he could be playing at your club. You know the guy, the skinny offie, always working in the nets, loves his cricket, loves playing with his mates. However, that bloke at your club does not bowl like Nathan does. It's this down-to-earth quality that has made Nath a cult figure. He's known as Gary, and everybody loves him. He has got... A greyhound named after him. Nice, Gary races clear out by six lengths on Honky Cat, then followed by Pete Siegel around the corner, like we heard in the ashes. Nice, Gary wins by four lengths on Honky Cat. Nathan has also got a dance song. Yes, a dance song, of all things, that pays tribute to him. There's goats in the ashes. There's goats in the ashes. There's goats in the ashes. Beautiful, his catches stick like blue. And they sing about Nathan at cricket grounds all across the country. Nice, Gary, Gary, nice. Gary, Gary, gay, your life must be. Don't get me wrong, though. It has not all been big bags of test wickets and national acclaim for our man Nath. Far, far from it. It has been a mix of determination, hard work, the resilience to come back from failure and a hard-earned level of self-belief. It is a great story about a great fella. Enjoy the remarkable tale of Nathan Michael Lyon. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on, children, try it with me. 
We want to reach Mount Zionai. Nay, fantastic to see it. In your wildest dreams, did you ever think you would be this successful as an Australian cricketer? Uh, always dreamt about it, even as a kid, all the way up to when I was still sitting on a roller. Um, when I was doing my trade, I always dreamt about playing cricket for Australia, but did I think I was going to get the opportunity? I probably thought that dream was probably slip, slipping away, um, but always wanted it and always wanted to chase it, so pretty grateful. There's so much to talk about with you. What is and it's hard to distill it in one answer. What's the key to being a successful test cricketer, do you think? Uh, I think you've got to be resilient. Um, but the way I look at, look at cricket, especially as a bowling, it, it's a problem-solving game. Um, there's a problem each ball that you... or each batter, each time he faces, it's a new problem. So it's, it's, it's good fun you've got to be resilient, but you've got to be consistent with your bowling and be able to challenge people's defence for long periods of time, so I reckon that's probably the best I can probably sum it up. There's some tremendous milestones. What will they mean to you? 100 test matches, oh. 400, 400 test wickets. Yeah, uh, I, it's, been, it's been interesting, obviously, I've been sitting at home with um, my partner Emma and talking about it a fair bit, and even with my family, mum and dad, um, and... It's pretty remarkable uh, when you look at the, the guys who have played 100 test matches and if I'm able to, to get there and, and be part of that group, it's going to be pretty special because there's currently 12 Australians who, who have played it and those guys, um, I'll pinch myself every day for the rest of my life when I look at, look at that group and if I'm able to get in there and mingle with those fellas. So it's uh, pretty amazing. But then you look at 400 test wickets, it's... It's a pretty big milestone, especially for a little finger spinner who um, can't can't in, in, intimidate by, by bowling fast or or um, swinging around or whatnot. Got a pretty basic skill set, but um, I'm just very confident in that, and just hopefully it'll allow me to get 400 and and go well beyond that. Pop quiz: a hundred Test matches has been 12 Australian cricketers mm. have done it. Can you name them? Yep. Go on then. Can you? Well, I'm putting you... You're the man going to do it, so you might as well name them. Uh, you got Steve Waugh, Ricky Ponning, Alan Border, Mark Wall, David Boone, Mark Taylor, Ian Healy, Justin Langer, Matthew Hayden, Michael Clark, Glenn McGrath, who's the last? Oh, and, no. and Nathan Lyon. No, you've got Shane Warne. Shane Warne. I thought Warne. you would <laughs> like that one. Shane Warne, we better not leave the king out. No. They are... The creme, de la creme of Australian cricket names. Yeah, hence why I'll pinch myself. What, what will it be like when Nathan Lyon is added to that group? Like they're the greatest cricketers we've ever had. Uh, yeah, and and uh, hence why I'll, I'll keep saying that I'll keep pinching myself because um, the one thing when I finish the game of cricket, I want people to, especially young kids, to look at it and say, "Well, that's that's Nathan Lyon. He didn't come straight out of school into a, walked into a contract." then didn't go the normal way of playing cricket for Australia. He actually found a different way, different route, and, and hopefully I can inspire young kids, boys, girls, to go out there and chase a dream. And just because if you don't make the under 15s, 17s, 19s, national country rep, rep teams around the thing, it doesn't mean your cricket dream's over. Yeah. So that's where I really want to probably leave, with, leave the game of cricket and people understand where where I've come from and what I've been able to achieve. But so when I'm in in that group, that's probably my 
goal to hopefully inspire a lot of young kids to chase a dream because to go out and achieve it because there's nothing stopping you. I love that story and I love the way you view life like that. So how much of it comes down to skill and then once you have an acceptable level of skill, how much comes down to hard work? Uh, I, think, I think your skill will improve. I think I'm still improving now. I'm still learning about the game now. Um, so I've always said the game of cricket, I don't think, I know I will never conquer it. And I don't think anyone else will in my eyes. I think it's a game that's always evolving. You can, you can see the way that batters are, are performing now and the way spinners are, are throwing in different balls and etc. So I think the game's always evolving. So I think the, the skill set can always improve. There's no, there's always three facets. You can always get better. Like you're never going to conquer the game. Um, it's always going to be down to hard work. You've got to want it. You can't, it's not going to be given to you on a platter. Um, but I think belief is the biggest thing. Um, I think once... Once I, I fell in love with my stock ball, um, then I found that belief that I can take wickets, whether that's in grey cricket, whether it's in the backyard against my dad, brother, <laughs> uncles. Like if I know I've, if I can get them out, then why can't I get someone else out? So I think it's just having that belief that, yeah, I can I can play this game of cricket. I can I can bowl off breaks or I can bowl left arm fast like Mitch Stark. So it doesn't matter what you do. It's just having that belief. What role are you going to play in this team? It's very batsman heavy, this 13 to play 100 <laughs> test matches. So you've got McGrath, you've got Warren, you've got you. So AB's going to have to bowl, Clark's going to have to bowl, the War Brothers are going to have to bowl. What's your role in this team? Um, to be honest with you, I've never actually said I'll be happy to run the drinks, but I'll probably be happy to run the drinks in, in this team and just to be around those guys. It's, um, it's pretty remarkable. But um, I'll definitely put my hand up to bowl a few overs, but gee, there's... Net sessions and the time in the, in the change, room, change room would be pretty special. It would be. Uh, Warren and McGrath, the names go together like Lillian Marsh. Warren and McGrath, and now Nathan Lyon, the third most test wickets for Australia. Just it! Oh, no! What's that come off? What a catch that is! What a brilliant catch! He wouldn't have known where that's gone. Inside edge onto pad, past pain. The wicket lines 356, moving it past the great Dennis Lilly to third, Australia's all-time leading test wicket takers. Well, BK Lilly will be raising a glass somewhere. We talked about the upper echelons. In a way, it's hard to believe the level of success you've had, Nath. Yeah, yeah, I like flying under the radar. Yeah. Um, and that, that's a good point because Warren and McGrath were always seen as stars. You are now seen as a star, but it's taken you a while to get to that point. Oh, 100%. 100%. I, I reckon my first, up, probably up to my first 30 test matches for, for Australia, there was always every summer um, we started at the Gabba usually. Um, it would be uh, four quicks. We don't need a spinner. Mm. We need a new leg spinner. We need... Always looking, always felt like we were always looking for, for a spinner. And that probably gave me more drive to actually go, you know what, stuff you all, I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to, I'm going to fight and I'm going to be resilient and I'm going to have that belief that I'm being able to belong here. I think, and I think Mike Hussey, to be honest, helped me with that belief and just watching the what when I first come in the side, watching Hunter, Clark and Hussey and Haddon, especially those four, just the belief that they had about their game of cricket, and I think I, I know I owe a lot of lot of time to for punter especially, but 
Mike Hussey has been absolutely incredible for me. We'll talk about cricket and test cricket at the highest level, but where did it start? What's your first memory of playing cricket, Nath? <laughs> first memory was obviously backyard cricket. Older brother um, who absolutely loves cricket, three years older. Still today, he's a cricket coach now um, here in Sydney, but absolutely loves it. First memory was he was playing, he would have been about 10, I reckon, I'm three years younger. Um, he was playing against Burua, which is a neighbouring town from uh, from young, 30 minutes just outside. And so I tagged along and, as Dad would do, throw my, my little kid in, <laughs> um, fold my whites up. Oh, no, I used to wear my whites even though I wasn't playing. Grandmother came along, Mum came along, and I was just there to watch and run around and annoy the crap out of Mum and Dad and Grandmother. And I remember um, Burua was short. So Dad said, right, you're off, you're playing. So I was seven, playing against ten, um, and actually bowled my brother's best mate out at the time. <laughs> so my first ever wicket was a little bold, bold Damien Major, so... <laughs> you remember the bloke's yeah, name? Yeah, yeah, still remember it, so... <laughs> G'day to Damo, listening yeah. at home to this one. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's my first, first ever memory, but I think growing up in the country really probably helped my cricket as well because I was playing against men from... Yep. 10 to 12. I think my first first grade game was when I was 12 and I would, have, I would have only played about three games on concrete, so on synthetic. So I just played on turf wickets my whole life, which is, has helped my game of cricket immensely. So That first wicket, was that offies or were you bowling some mediums no. or sharp stuff? What no. were you doing? I wasn't the biggest kid growing <laughs> up, so I just to try and just, just roll it over. <laughs> so I don't know how he missed it, but anyway. What was the first bat you got? Um... V100, Mark Wall. Oh, that's Lazinger. Yeah. Do you remember going to buy? Was it a present? No, or? it was Christmas present. Was it? So, But I remember just sitting there, bang, 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 <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> Used to drive mum and dad nuts, especially mum. But Did you have the socks set up and stuff or not? Yes, mum's stockings. Um, <laughs> then it got a little bit dangerous when we were able to hit the ball a little bit further and you rip a hole and go flying through and just miss <laughs> windows and stuff. But that was good fun. What was it about cricket that grabbed you as a kid? Um, oh, well, both my grandf grandfathers played it, both sides. Dad's the oldest of nine. Uh, he's got two other brothers. Oldest of nine? Yeah, so when on the line side of the family, when we had Christmas, it was just mayhem, like cricket. I think I've got about 25 cousins or something off the top of my head, so it's just absolutely ridiculous. Brilliant fun. But we only went up to um, Coonabarabran, where Dad grew up, um, for a family reunion. Only started this year, oh March I think it was, and we they rolled out a wicket there for us, and we played played muck, muck around <laughs> the centre wicket in Coonabarabra in the middle of March, freezing <laughs> up there, but it was good fun. I think I think that's where I've learnt the game though, and got the hunger and the love for the game just from seeing my family, hearing stories from grandfathers, dad, um, so yeah, just love it. You mentioned your brother. <laughs> For the last few years on Fox, whenever you're out in the middle batting and looking correct and maybe making a few runs, Kerry O'Keefe straight away, it's because of his brother. His brother's coached him. It's like your brother's out there batting. I don't know if Skull gives you credit for what you're doing out there, but you still get coaching from your brother now. Yeah, I actually went up to um, Northern Districts training on Tuesday. Right. At the 3.30, got up there and the old, the old underarm drills, it's very basic drills, but gets me in a good shape and gives me a lot more confidence because... 
I'm hitting these balls, but I just hope Bournemouth bowls that pace that Brendan throws it. <laughs> I think he's got to be a bit sharper. But, uh, yeah, no, Brendan, he, he is my batting coach and it's, it's, it's good. I wish I'd probably listened to him earlier. But as, as a younger brother, older brother, he's going, shut up, I know better type thing. But I remember um, growing up, there used to be fights and stuff, but he was always trying to help me. You mentioned growing up in the country, and I think the great thing for all of us that grew up in the country, as an 11, 12, 13-year-old, you're playing with the men all of mm. a sudden and, you know, they're talking about what they did the night before and then they're going to the pub after the game and, you know, you might get sat in the corner of the pub having a lemonade. What are your memories of, as a young Nate playing with the big boys? Ah, uh, yeah. My first ever game, Mum was absolutely horrified um, because... Dean Schofield, who was a good mate back home, he was um, probably the leading cricketer when I was growing up around around young in the district around there and we used to look up to him and used to think, hey, why isn't he playing for New South Wales and, and beyond and used to be a left arm quick and bat four, so he used to do everything. And, and mum went up to dad and said, well, he's got to slow down. He's got to slow down. And dad, dad, dad's purely like, he's playing first grade cricket he'll learn, he'll, like, he'll be fine. Just <laughs> say your prayers, I guess. But uh, um, so that's my first real memory of one playing against Dean Schofield and bowling quite fast. And I used to try and bat then. So I used to, oh, when I first started, probably bat about seven or eight. Um, but then I progressed up to, used to bat three um, when I got older. But um, then, as you said, go down the pub for, for lunch for during rep, rep, rep cricket, so just leave your stuff at the ground, straight down to the RSL. In the lunch break? Yeah, <laughs> sit, sit there, have a chicken snitty. Half the team would have a beer, we would have, we would have a Coke, then this is rep cricket as well, and then we'd, we'd go back and um, sit there and play on or crack on with the game, so. It's a tremendous learning curve, though, for young fellas, and not just about cricket, but about the social side of life and how you get on with your elders and looking those guys in the eye and shaking hands. It's a tremendous way for young fellas to grow up, I reckon. Oh, and girls. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. That's, I absolutely love that. And and even just sitting down and you probably don't really know what they're talking about or anything like that, but you sit, go to the pub at the end of the game and you go have a have a drink with the opposition. I think that's a very, um, especially one for playing the game of cricket, extremely hard but always going next door and saying well done or having a beer or whatnot now. So I think I learnt that from a young age. And what was Nath going to do if he wasn't a cricketer? Like as a young bloke <laughs> in high school, what were the careers teachers, what path were they sending you down? Um, always wanted to play cricket, but I never wanted to... I wasn't the best at study, so I never really wanted to go to uni or any, anything like that. Um, so when I first moved out of home when I was 18. I was, I was home, I'm not homeless, but I was living with, in a share house with four girls and I just needed to get out of there. Um, <laughs> and it was just absolute mayhem. And I was unemployed for two days. So I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I thought about being a personal trainer, thought about doing a trade, whether that's building or whatnot. Um, but then I got Andrew Dawson, the old ACT coach, he was like, um, there's an apprenticeship here at Marnie Global. Um, do you want to do it? Greenkeeping, curating. I called Dad up and I'm like, oh, Dad, what do you reckon? Um, I said, I don't really want to be blamed for the wickets like we're going to be playing on. He goes, wake up to yourself, you're unemployed. 
it's a job and basically just hung up the phone. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, okay. So I called back Friday afternoon and said, yeah, I'll take the job. And I started Monday and fell in love with it. So to answer your question, I'd probably be doing greenkeeping. I absolutely right. love it. I might even start up nice Gary's Gardens after cricket. And, <laughs> Gary's Gardens. But, uh, I'm, I'm signing you up when I need some work done. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I obviously love it. Love, love my time at Marnica Oval. Love my time at uh, Adelaide Oval. So. so when you're at Marnica, Canberra, as an 18, 19-year-old, is there anywhere in your mind thinking, I'm still a chance to play for Australia, this is what I want to do? Like, you're miles off there because oh. you talked about pathways and stuff, like... Where are you in your cricket career at this point? Oh, I'm developing. Like, uh, I wanted all I wanted when I moved to Canberra was play for the ACT Comets, and knowing that's second eleven cricket. The Comets, yeah, the Comets. And then, then you go, okay, you're only three fifers, four fifers away from the next level, wherever that may be. So, I remember working. I go to start work at 5.30, 6am in the morning, work, do all the wickets and stuff. Then at lunchtime I'd actually go and bowl at the nets and Ryan Carters, who used to play for the yeah. New South Wales Sixers in Victoria, um, he, he was a good mate of mine. We played grade cricket together. He would come down at lunchtime and, and bat against, against me. So I'd work four to five to six hours and go bowl for an hour, then go back to work, then finish up and mm. then go to training. So I always wanted that, so I always tried to go, I always wanted to push myself to the next level. Um, so that's, to answer your question, I feel I was miles off. Did I ever think? Probably no. Like I've always wanted, wanted it. Did I have that belief at that stage? No, no, definitely not. But I think that developed the more confident I got with my bowling, going to being able to play second 11 cricket around the country, uh, enjoy that challenge. Um, but, yeah, the stars just aligned for me when I moved to Adelaide. When you were preparing the decks, mm. were you preparing things like that out of India and they were turning this far or well, not? I can. I can quite easily. <laughs> but, um, no, no, I'm, and I've always been one for a con- even contest between bat and ball because I believe that's your best, best form of cricket because if you're good enough, you'll get runs. If you're good enough, you'll take wickets. Too many games are now, in my opinion, are way too favoured to the batters, yep. especially white ball cricket. I know it's built around fans and boundaries and sixes, but I'd love to see more contests between bat and ball. I'd love to see that. So you talked about the move to South Australia. How, how did that come to pass? You said that was the biggest development in your early career. What happened? Um, so Ashley Ross, um, he was a ACT, Alex Ross, a sweep, yep, sweeper. The sweepologist. Yep. Um, his dad, he was uh, he come over from New Zealand to head coach at Comets. Um, so I was playing under him for a little bit. Then he left to be the South Australian talent ID officer. Um, so he was his job was simply to go around and find young cricketers for South Australian cricket. Anyway, in my third year, my apprenticeship, he called me out of the blue and said, "Oh, Nath, we've come down to Adelaide. We need an off-spin bowler." I said, oh, mate, I'd absolutely love to do this. And this would take a, a lot of um, guts from me to, to do it. But I said, no, I can't because if you can give me a contract, I'll come. But my trade, if I come now, then I've got to start my trade again. And then because right. I, I started work at $5.35 an hour. So I was working a lot to pay rent. And, <laughs> Five bucks really yeah. fucking out, mate. Yeah, it was a, it was pretty hard back in there. We used to go around the schnitzel shops, the, the pubs, the $7 snitties, the $10 rumps. 
But anyway. So you've got a real decision to make here now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, call me back in 12 months and um, take the Mickey type thing, not thinking much of it. And so I was pretty gutted. I remember going home that night, pretty gutted, called Dad. I'm like, I think I've missed a big opportunity. And Dad was like, yeah, but you got a trade. Like, you're going down there for nothing. You're going really well at trade. You're enjoying it. Like, suck it up and get on with it type thing. Um, Your dad but, seems to give you a fair bit of that, suck it up. Uh, no, he just wants to keep my feet on the ground. Right. He's, he's a big supporter, but he doesn't want to see me get my head too far up because I'm no different to anyone else. So anyway, um, Rossi called me eight months. So still got a couple of months left on the trade and he goes, need an off spinner for the South Australia down here. They're looking for one, but we also need a curator. So that I'm like, okay. So, so I went... Ran, basically ran across Monaco, went into Brad Van Dam, the head curator's office, and said, mate, can you sign me off? I'm, I want to go down to Adelaide. So off, that was, a, I think it was Friday or something. I flew down to Adelaide Monday, walked into Damien Hoff's office and said uh, for a job interview, and he goes, congrats, you got the job. Um, <laughs> so went and found a house there and moved down a week later. So it all happened pretty quick. Um, but <laughs> not many people um, realise that uh, Mark Sorrell was the head coach at that time. Of South Australia? Yeah, and Mark Sorrell, Damien went to Mark Sorrell and said, there's a young kid coming down from Canberra, is he any good? Is he, I don't want to have a ground curator come, along, come on and just bugger off cricket every then. And Mark Sorrell will probably hate me saying this, but this is true. <laughs> Uh, he goes, no, he's no good, don't worry about it. Um, he'll, he'll be around, all good, just sign him up, he'll be good. He'll be right to look after the ground every yeah. Saturday. Yeah, yeah, don't worry about <laughs> it. Um, so, so that's happened. And I, I've only found out that quite recently from Damien Hoff, and <laughs> some really good mates with him. And Great story. Um, but, yeah, so then I moved down and lucky, no offence, Mark, but he got sacked and then Darren Berry come on, on board and... Then it just went through the roof. Talk about going through the roof because there's a lot of discussion that, you know, there's urban legends and rumours in, in cricket like any sport that Darren Berry saw you and he's like, right, we need to get this bloke in the team. Is that a basic representation of what happened? Um, well, as I was just saying off camera there, it, it, it does sound like the ball rolled out to me. I was on the roller, I jumped off, picked the ball, bowled it back to Darren and he goes, shit, this bloke can bowl. Let's, let's put, <laughs> put him in top thing. But um, no, so I... I was playing, I was in Adelaide working um, and I was also being able to play for the ACT Comets just so they could play some other, some, someone else in South Australia seeing I wasn't contracted. And we played the Baby Bash back then um, and actually Roy played against, I played against Roy, he was playing for Queensland. I don't know why I remember that. But um, anyway, Darren watched me play against South Australia I took three for 14 or something and... He said to uh, Jamie Cox, the head selector, and Jeff Fawn, uh, one of the coaches, said, I'm going to pick him and I'm going to play him. And they're like, you can't, he's not part of the squad. And he goes, Darren's like, we'll make it happen, I'm going to pick him. So hmm. so then Darren called me up and said, I'm going to pick you. And to be honest with you, I was just absolutely stoked I got a tracksuit. <laughs> like, absolutely stoked. I remember going, I've never told anyone this, I've, I remember going back down to Park 25 where I was working after picking up the tracksuit and I put it on and walked, walked out on the oval and I was like, this is pretty good. This, I I'll, love it. Describe the tracksuit. It was uh, red and black, uh, red backs. And I was just like, 
this is this is unreal. Like, <laughs> I sound like an idiot now, but... No, but it shows you the pa- your passion for the game, Nate. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely loved it. And so I think I slept in it that night and <laughs> then, uh, yeah, then I ended up playing the first game, so... How'd that first game go? Was that a limited overs game? Yeah, T20. So I played, um, it was back when I was KFC, Big Bash, yep. s- States, um, just before, I think it was the last year before the BBL, uh, the Big Bash now, um, so... First game, I had feathers on top of my head with gold gold dots all through it. I oh, yeah, had the tips in. Yeah, had the had the tips all through and a shell necklace that um, all the boys give me crap crap about <laughs> now. Where'd the shell necklace come from? Don't know, don't know. You know the great Kim Hughes wore a shell necklace in the day. Oh, see, that's where it was one of those things you look back now and go, I wish I didn't do it. But we need to find that vision. No, we need to find that vision. We've got it. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Good. Um, yeah, then had a reasonable debut, um, two two wickets against New South Wales. Yeah, that's how it all started. Then debuted South Australia a couple of weeks later in at the Wacker, four Shield games and Australia A Tour to um, Zimbabwe. Leading wicket taker. Just one, yeah, one one days only. Um, then the selection for Australian thing. That's a different story. G'day team, Adam Gilchrist here. Hope you're enjoying Nathan Lyon. What a champion. We'll get back to him in a minute. Now, typically it's at this stage of the podcast where Howie will introduce and tease who next week's podcast interview will be. Well, I've ambushed the show. Don't panic because the guest that is going to come on next week is a fascinating individual. In fact, it is Howie himself, the man himself. I had an inkling that a lot of listeners wanted to get to know him a little bit more because, let's face it, he sounds fascinating in the way he interviews all the talent. Well, I found out there was hundreds of emails that were coming in saying exactly the same thing. So I decided to flip the table, turn it around and interview the great Mark Howard. And I tell you what, he was a bit of a reluctant starter. Righto, Howie. How are you feeling about it, just being on the other side of the mic? I'll be completely honest with you. It's it's not – you get to where you are in life by playing a certain way. So this is like you having to go out and be Chris Tavare rather than having <laughs> Gilchrist. Like it's the opposite of what I would normally do. I'm looking forward to it. But I also – the thing that is in my mind a little bit is we've spent eight summers together. Mm. So I was thinking about this this morning. Apart from my family, you probably know – the current me as yep. well as anyone, which is reassuring yet also slightly concerning <laughs> because you know what makes me tick so you know what questions to ask. The second thing that I'm a little concerned about is I'm used to it being done a certain way and mm. I know what works making a good podcast. Now, I have to hand that responsibility but over it- to you. So people say to me, oh, sometimes you know, who hasn't been a good guest on your show? And I always look at it, if the episode's not that good, it's my fault, not the guest's. Mm. So without more nervous. <laughs> without putting any extra pressure on your guru, if this episode absolutely stinks it up, it's your fault, not mine. So there you go. That's Howie. He didn't really want to do it, but I tell you what, watch out. He warms up into it nicely. Extraordinary story, and it's one you don't want to miss. Let's get back to the GOAT. Okay, so let's talk about selection for the Australian thing, as you called it, Nate, <laughs> a.k.a. the Australian cricket team. Yeah, uh, it was pretty remarkable, to be honest. Um, I didn't see it coming like that. I obviously got back from Zimbabwe, thought that was absolutely amazing. Same thing, got the 
leading up to that tour, I was pretty well shocked in that. I got the Australian outfit, the track suits, and I thought, this is heaven. Like, how good is this? <laughs> then, then I was rooming with David Warner that whole trip, and that that was an eye-opening experience, just let alone. How, um, was, how was it to room with the big bull? Um, yeah, loose. <laughs> uh, but uh, that was um, entertaining. Um, it was totally different people. Anyway, I got through that tour, um, and I was just at home. And Darren Berry called me at about 10.30 at night on a Saturday night and I'm like, I was at home um, and I was just like, what's this you want here? So I didn't answer it because I was like in bed. I'm like, oh, I haven't done anything wrong, so I'm panicking. Have I done anything wrong? What's on Twitter? What's on Instagram? What's I all haven't this? done anything wrong. <laughs> yeah, so, so what's this? Then he goes, I left a voice message. He goes, call me in the morning, ASAP, I need, you, need to meet you. So I slept, uh, called him at 8 o'clock and he goes, I'll see you at the um, cafe on North Adelaide at the bakery at 8.30. Uh, I said, yeah, all right, is everything all good? Like, have, am I in trouble? And he goes, no, nah, just see you there. So this is a Sunday and the team was getting announced on Tuesday. So he went and sat down and said, oh, you want a coffee? And he goes, uh, yeah, just sit down, I need to tell you something. So I'm thinking, crap, something's horribly wrong here. He goes, well, I just wanted to tell you first, um, you're going to be picked in the Australian test team for Sri Lanka in, on Tuesday. Um, I just said, bullshit, you, this is a practical <laughs> joke, looking around for the cameras and like, nah, this isn't right. I played four shield games. And he goes, I just wanted to tell you because I've been holding your hand through this experience. Um, I just wanted to tell you that. And I said, oh, Chuck, that's unbelievable. So ended up spending an hour with him just chatting there and, I was about to go and he goes, oh, by the way, you can't tell anyone until Tuesday and it doesn't get announced. So that's, you imagine telling someone that your dream's come, coming true but I'm not allowed to tell anyone. So I went home and I was just scratching my head for the next five hours going, what's going on here? Like walking around pumped. I'm like, I just got to call Dad. And so I called Dad and said, Dad, I'm going to pick an Australian test team. He goes, that's a, good, that's a practical joke. This, <laughs> like, like, just take it easy, don't get your hopes up, all that stuff. And next minute, Andrew Hilditch called me and said, um, congrats, um, you're on the test tour, well-deserved and all this stuff. Uh, this morning uh, we received the very exciting news that Nathan Lyon had been uh, selected in the Australian team for Sri Lanka. Obviously in South Australia we're delighted at the selection. It would be fair to say it came as somewhat of a shock to Nathan and to all of us here. Next minute I was rocking up and got a text message from Pup, Michael Clark, youngster, welcome, look forward to meeting you. So I haven't met um, Ponting, Hussey, Clark, Watson, Haddon, wow. Johnson. I have, did meet, meet uh, Rhino in the second 11 game. Knew Trent Copeland, he was making his debut on that tour. Knew Michael Beer, so it was only, and Husey. So there's only a couple of guys I really knew. So then, yeah, rock next minute, rock up in Colombo and walked in with bags and opened up the lift and there's Michael Clark, Ricky Pony and Mike Huss. He basically crapped myself and <laughs> dropped me bags and had to introduce myself that I was a new team member. So we'll get to the first test match. How do you gain belief in your ability to go into that setup at that stage or do you not have belief? 
No, I don't have belief. No, no way I had the belief. I just thought, okay, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to learn. I'm going to ask questions. And I'm not going to speak unless spoken to at the start until I find my place and just pay my respect and just wait and learn and listen. Listen was a big thing for me. Um, but huh. I remember just bowling to punter in the nets and like, I'd bowl six balls at him. He would come down and just talk about facing Havajan, what I can do better. And he was just absolutely brilliant. Then, uh, yeah, next minute, Michael Clark said, oh, Gaz, come for a walk. Took me into the change room. Yet again, I thought I'd done something wrong. <laughs> it's a recurring theme. Yeah, yeah. So then I walked in there and Greg Chappell sitting in there, Pup sitting in there, and uh, they just said, congratulations, you, you're going to play. Playing the first test, you're the only spinner we're going in with. So I was, yeah, getting goosebumps now talking about it. Did you ring hard? Yeah, yeah. Called, um, <laughs> this is another one, called, called mum and dad and I think dad was out the back of Tamora somewhere working. I said, oh, dad, you won't believe this. And he's like, what? And I said, oh, I'll make my debut. Like in two days' time, he goes, that's all right, at least you'll play one game and hung up. <laughs> and I've since found out that... <laughs> I've since found out that he was probably too emotional to talk. Right. Because he's seen his son yes. do that. So, so yeah, then I called my brother and he was speechless. Mum started crying, so it was all, all good fun. And called my grandmother, she started crying. So. I love how emotional you get and you got goosebumps and you give me goosebumps now, it just shows you how much it means to you to play for Australia. Oh, I love it. I love it. Absolutely love it. It's one of, one of my best memories actually is in the second test um, and it's with Dad. The second test was a pretty <coughs> steady game, draw, like nothing over the top. <coughs> and uh, we were just sitting at back at the hotel and Candy just having a few beers and I was sitting next to um, Ponting, Haddon and myself and then Huss and a few others. Just, I'm thinking, how good is this? Just Sean Marsh just made his debut, just had an unbelievable hat presentation from Jeff, Jeff Marsh, two, two softs. Um, so Jeff was there having a few beers and, <coughs> and Hads goes, where's, where's Steve? I said, oh, Dad's just up in the room. He goes, go get him. I'm like, no, no, he's right. He goes, bullshit, go get him. So I went down and got Dad and Dad's not a big drinker. <coughs> Dad will have one beer at Christmas, if that, and uh, come down and sat next to me and pointed and had him and Dad sunk nine Coronas like that. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen anything like it before. So that's up there from one of my best memories. <laughs> so the first Test match, who... who who presented you with your baggy green? You talked about wearing the South Australian tracksuit in the local park. What was it like when they handed you that that famed cap? Uh, yeah, unbelievable. So um, Trent Copeland debuted the same game yeah. with me. Doug Walters presented his cap. Um, then Greg Chappell presented mine. And uh, Did he say anything to you? Oh, it's all pretty blurred, to be honest. Yeah. That's a real disappointing thing. Um, one thing is you said, have fun and believe and back yourself type thing and that's been a real trend throughout my whole, whole cricket is those, those three things I'll, I'll probably look back on is one, back yourself and have fun and believe that you're good enough. So indulge me <coughs> as a 
massive cricket nuffy, when does Michael look at you and say, you're on? Uh, so we won the toss and batted first, which is an absolute godsend because the wicket was pretty interesting. I've never seen anything. As a curator, I was absolutely horrified. There's no grass on it. I'm like, but as a spinner, I'm like, how good is this type thing? But um, so we batted first. Mike Hussey, um, exceptional with, again with the bat. Um, but then next morning, um, got off to a flying start. Then uh, we had a drinks break. Then Pup just come up to him. He goes, youngster, you ready? I said, oh, yep. Type thing. I was just oh, shit, here we go, type thing. <laughs> now, this is very interesting. Nathan Lyon, uh, the off-break bowler, looks to the heavens as he's about to bowl his first over in international cricket and test cricket. Um, and I remember like, being quite nervous and um, Huss ran up from mid on. He was like, just smile, mate, have fun, relax. I'm like, how am I meant to relax? <laughs> I bet the bowl my first ball in test cricket. And um, then he, he buggered off and then punter just come over and just said, back yourself. Back yourself, just bowl exactly like you have been in the nets, just back yourself. This is, uh, this is a, just an absolutely wonderful moment for, for any cricketer. He's been presented with his baggy green cap and uh, here he is now on a turning pitch. He's been given the ball. So I just remember taking a couple of big, deep, big, big breaths before um, walking in and lucky enough that Kumar Nick won first no, ball. Hang on, you just can't go lucky <laughs> enough, Kumar. You can't be that modest. You need to tell me about it. I watched it this morning, just outside of Stump, turned sharply. Um, <coughs> yeah, oh, well, I'm not going to lie, I've watched a lot of, <laughs> of like, replays of I it. saw a lot of hits on the clip and I thought, I wonder how many of these yeah. are eights. Yeah, no, nah, I've watched it a lot and obviously you're listening to Tony Gregg and stuff. Yes. Which um, is great memories now and... But I just remember going, okay, just bowl your best ball. Just bowl your best ball. Don't worry about it. Just bowl it. And <clears throat> off, out of my hand, I thought, oh, no, that's real short and real wide. But it actually come back really nice. Um, forward fence, outside edge, and Michael Clark took an absolute ripper of a catch. Good and, catch. Yeah. And, and Tony went off in the commentary yeah, box as he well. Does, he? It's an off-spinner bowling to left-handers. Normally off-spinners like that. So uh, here we go. Yes, he's got a wicked first ball. What a what a start to a career these two are having. First it was Copeland, now it's Lyon. That was a lovely ball first up. A little bit of drift, a little bit of turn, a little bit of kick, and what's more, a really good catch. Yeah, I'm getting goosebumps again, but it's just unbelievable. Like, I just thought, how good is this? I've got one. Like, that's, that's all I need. The first match, first test match ball, and curve and going outside the off the edge of the bat. And that was a brilliant catch from Michael Clark. You won't get a, that better than that. The first match, first ball, and he got the best wicket of Sri Lankan player, Kumar Sangakkara. Then went on the take five. Then a pretty good catch to take five. In the air. Oh, what a catch! What a magnificent catch! Well, that's five wickets as well. Lyon is having a wonderful time. He'd, he'd have to think that this Test match cricket was a, a bit of, well, a doddle. Wonderful catch. Turned a bit, stopped a little bit. He went to his right. I didn't think he was going to latch onto it. And, uh, well, he did, and this is the reaction. So, tell me about the first 30 tests because there was a period that you mentioned when we were chatting earlier on where 
your position in the team was never guaranteed and it got to those situations where it had come to the last day, Nathan Lyon has to bowl us to victory. How, how do you deal with the pressure, the desire to want to be in that team but you're not cemented in that team? That must be extremely stressful. <coughs> yeah, 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 it was. It, it, it still is, I guess. Um, I've always said you never want to be comfortable, especially in the Australian cricket team, because as, as, as soon as you're comfortable, you you're vulnerable to be getting to things taken away from you. And as cricketers and as professional sportsmen, our, our careers are actually in someone else's hands. Mm. Um, so I remember, I think it was about my ninth or tenth test match, Justin Langer was actually the batting coach. And we're in Trinidad, Tobago, um, and he actually called me into his room. Um, so I went there and had a chat, and he's, it was ten, <coughs> my tenth test match, and he goes, the honeymoon's over. Like, now you... We're looking at you as an Australian cricketer. You've got to start <coughs> performing. You've got to go start backing yourself to, to win games of cricket for Australia. So I went, but that hit me pretty hard. Um, and it, but now it's probably, the, even though J.O. is our coach now, it's probably the best advice he's ever given me. Um, so I, hats off to J.O. for that one. Um, but when throughout my whole career it's been... Oh, last day. Seeing Shane Warne was so good and and delivered over and over um, on the last days. A whole Australian public puts puts the pressure on you. Oh, the expectation. Yeah. Lions going to bowl us to victory on yeah. day five. Even even you look at Edgebaston last year in the Ashes. Um, I, I couldn't sleep that night because I was worried about all the expectation because it was spinning. But one thing that Dad has actually said to me ages ago is that there's four other bowlers and hmm. we're always bowling in a pack together as partnerships. So and it doesn't worry me if I take five or Mitchell Stark takes eight, Pat nine or whatever it is, Josh. I'd much rather see those guys do extremely well and we win test matches rather than me taking eight wickets and lose test matches. So I'm... I'm a big one for that. So it, it has taken me a long time to realise, OK, it's not on me. I can't take a door, uh, Kumble and take 10 wickets in a game, or in an innings. I'd love to do that. But I think the big big thing, if I have that belief that as a bowling unit, we'll, we'll get these breakthroughs, we'll, we'll hang in there, stay patient, and you do all those things you do to, to perform on the last day. So the big thing is that I, now I've got that belief that it's not on just me. Mm. Yes, I play a big role in it, but so does Mitch, so does Pat, so does Josh, so does Marnus with the ball. Whoever is bowling, we got an opportunity to make a difference. So I, that's, that was big. and I probably didn't have that early in my career. I thought it was always on me to win the game. Um, then obviously you read the media, your parents read the media, and then then they get brought down and you ask them what's wrong and they're like, oh, I'm just worried about today and expectations and all that stuff. So early in my career, I, was, I probably struggled with that, if I'm being honest with it. So so what have you learned about how you come over self-doubt, how you overcome self-doubt? Oh, having that belief that, that one, we're good enough, two, that I know I can do it, um, but and have fun doing it. Because the best cricket I've played is when I'm having fun. And right now in the Australian cricket team, I'm part of the best bowling tack in the world in my eyes. Mm. <clears throat> but those guys are my best mates as well. So it's like going to school. Like you, with school, 
having fun with your mates all day, every day type thing. So <laughs> pretty lucky. So what's it like when you get dropped? Um, well, touch wood, not going to happen for a while. Howie, but <coughs> it will never happen again, Nathan. But it, it happened. <laughs> oh, in those it will early, happen one day. It happened in those early days. Yeah, yeah. So I've been dropped three times. Um, so, or, <coughs> so how do you get told, and how do you overcome again? <laughs> get, like we've get, talked about what it's like when you, you're in the team. What's it like when they tap you on the shoulder and say you're out, Nathan? Shocking, is it? Shocking. Um, Rod Marsh has come up and said, oh, "Yeah, you're not playing this game." Um, we're going with the left arm, uh, turn away from the right-handers. And I was pretty shocked. And the, the test before in India t- took seven for 94 in the first innings, um, then three for in the, uh, two for in the second inning. So it was like oh, nine test matches leading into the Ashes. I'm pretty, feeling pretty confident. When he did that, I was just absolutely gutted. Went back to your room. You don't want to leave. Like you, just, you start to have the thoughts, is my career done? What am I going to do with myself? Like, how am I going to support family? What are my family and friends going to think of me? All, all the horrible thoughts that you, you have behind your closed door. And it wasn't until Hads said, Hads message, pretty, pretty blunt, room 312, come, come now. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> so knock on the door, went and sat on his bed for an hour, and he goes, you just got to go and ask. Like, this isn't the end of your career, so don't worry about it. Go and ask why you got dropped. And I said, why? And he goes, then you hold them accountable. Then, then you make them accountable. Then once you prove them that you can do whatever, that, whatever the reason is, then they've got no choice but to pick you. So next day I said to uh, David for the test, and I said, uh, Rod and Buff, um, it was Buff's first, first test match as coach, and I said, uh, what's the reason? And he goes, oh, I was worried about you bowling the right-handers. I said, okay, no worries. So the next test matches, I'd warm training session. I just followed Haddon, Pup around the nets and just bowled to right-handers, right-handers the whole time just to prove a point that, and, and to get better and, and to make sure I'm putting my hand up for, for selection. That's the end of Nathan Lyon, part A. Spin over to part B.